0: Amen. Uh, tonight, I'm going to uh, preach on some texts that I personally have never preached on before. And I wanna, I guess I want to state the obvious tonight. I, I know that we're almost totally home folk, and would this would be something that may even be redundant for some of us. But I don't know that we've ever um, talked about the issue. I want to talk to you about distinction tonight. I don't know that we've ever talked about it as directly as I feel like we need to. I, I have been troubled um, as we get sometimes uh, by the by the current perception of a lot of the church concerning uh, all this questions about gender, these questions about homosexuality. Um, seems like that there's just a lot of a lot of uncertainty. Um, that, and not just on, you'd think, well, that's just kind of the, the niche knockoff groups, but it's not. It's really prevailing into a lot of areas. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention's having some difficulties now. You may say, well, they're completely lost. I don't know. The point being, there's a lot of major denominations that are struggling with this. And so tonight, is everybody okay if we just teach out of the scripture concerning the distinction that God gives? Everybody okay with that? I'm not going to preach something so much tonight. In fact, I would encourage you to get a pen. You might write down some things because even though we believe these things, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already believe. I want to give a scriptural backing for why we believe these things, because I think we're going to be challenged with this and you should know it shouldn't just be, well, because pastor says so (laughs) that won't work or, well, because God said, well, where does God say it? Why does God say it? So I just want to look at a few things tonight. I want to start in, um, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. Distinction. I think that this is a really important passage of Scripture uh, that we, we think about how God sets in order all of creation and that in creation we see all the patterns that are going are going to go forward that we're going to live by everything is established right everything that that is established in the beginning carries on and we still see those exact same things happen today everybody say amen, amen. i got y'all flustered with the word distinction apparently we're looking for paper um, so Everything God set up in one, two, three, four, five, six is all still going on today. We still see the earth. We still see the planets. We still see the, uh, the days and the nights and animals and, and all the vegetation and the, and the uh, light and the, the darkness. Everything that God set up. Also, in this, though, God sets up distinction. And I think that this is a really important thing for us to begin with. So look at verse 27. I just want to read that quickly. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he, him. Male and female created he, them. Lord, I ask you tonight, help us to just understand. Help us to understand and digest your word and to let it settle in our hearts so it's not moved quickly from us. And we just want to receive from you. We want to be right in our thoughts concerning you. And we give you all the glory, Lord. And everybody say amen. amen. Male and female created he them. Uh, this isn't difficult. Uh, so many times when I hear, I don't has anybody heard on Christian television any topic, preacher getting up and preaching it all about homosexuality? Anybody ever heard anything? Anybody? A few. Okay, not very many. That proves how little it's being talked about because it's not popular. But every time I have heard it talked about, it always starts with the precursor. Now listen, we love people. And we just want you to know we love people. And we're not condemning anybody and we don't want anybody to feel bad about what we're going to say. Why don't we start every message concerning sin in that way? You know, I know a lot of great murderers. They're good people. We all know them. Why... Why don't we start it that way? I I know there's just a lot of really good uh, fornicators out there. They're good people. We don't want to offend anybody here tonight with with this. But, you know, we're just going to kind of try to avoid the subject and apologize for calling sin, sin. And so I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm not going to apologize. You're not going to apologize. I know you're I'm preaching to the choir. But we don't need to start a message about what is right with God with an apology because this is wrong with God. We don't need to start that way, so we're not going to start that way. I want to establish some things that the Word of God has settled. Um, So I'm hearing over and over again from religious leaders the doubt that God ever had anything definitive to say concerning homosexuality, transgender, lesbianism. There's just a real, like, uncertainty that God really was a, a little undefined about it and, and really wasn't always direct about it. And so I, I want to look at that. I hear this line, though, has come up a few times in the last, and, and I'm not actually, you might think, well, you go looking for those things. I don't go looking for these things, but as I'm watching, I'll be watching some church on YouTube. I watch a lot of messages, and there'll be suggestions. Does anybody ever see those? You see suggestions? So it'll be something about, you know, this thought, and and I'm like, wow, so I click on it, and I keep hearing this line in some form. Modern scholars have discovered that homosexuality is not addressed in the Bible. Modern scholars have discovered that God really only cares about faithful monogamous relationships. Anybody heard that term? Really, that's what God's concerned with. God's concerned with faithfulness because he wants us to have faith and we have to be faithful to have faith. So really it's not about who you're with, it's about that you're with him forever. This is, this is stuff, I, I'm not making this up, this is stuff that's creeping in. It's really becoming uh, very readily available within a lot of spheres of the church. Uh, there's going to be a dividing line in the next few years. We, we can see that clearly happening. And I think this is going to be one of those things. Um so I want to read God's word and state very clearly some things because we I don't want anybody here to get swept up in the flood of postmodernism. It's easy to get suckered into that. I don't know if you've ever done this. I have heard arguments at times against the truths of the word of God that were pretty persuasive. And you almost feel I almost feel like where where Agrippa said, Paul, you almost had me convinced. Anybody ever felt that way? You know, that was a pretty good argument. And I want to make sure you don't almost get convinced. I want to make sure that we're very certain about some things. So I want to uh, make some statements through this that you might want to write down. You don't have to, but you you might think about them as you go home. God believes in distinction. That's the first important statement. God believes in in distinction. This cannot be debated within the scriptures. If God didn't want distinction, then everything would have been made hermaphrodite. Anybody familiar with that term? Which means fully intact male and female, meaning no other one necessary for procreation or the ability to duplicate. If if God didn't care about distinction, then that's how God would have made everything, right? Okay? You're going to discover that there are no hermaphroditic species of mammals, birds, or insects. Zero. Science wants to lead you that there's a possibility. They'll tell you of some frog in Africa that supposedly over time might switch its sexes and switch from a male to a female. No, it doesn't. You know how I know? Because that's not how God made things. There's a few little things like slugs and worms. I don't even know what they are. I don't know how you tell the difference. And so, I don't know. It's not real obvious to me. And they say some of those things don't necessarily need other things to recreate. I don't know, but I just know that God created distinction within all the animals, all the mammals, all the birds, all the insects, and certainly within humanity. There's distinction. It's there. It's important. There have been, let me just address this quickly, and I'm going to be careful. Parents, I don't want you to flip out about what I'm going to say here tonight. I'm going to be careful, but I'm going to tell you something. They're teaching sex ed in kindergarten right now. Now, I'm not going to expose your children to anything that they don't need to know. I'm going to let you tell them at, at the time you feel is fit. But we better be proactive in how we're dealing with things and not wait for them to discover from somebody else and get confused about what God made. And I'm gonna say a few things that I'm gonna leave open ended so that you can fill in the blanks. But it'd be pretty easy for humanity if you just grew up in a barnyard, you're gonna discover how God made things to function. Everybody understand what I'm saying, all you adults? It's pretty easy, it's natural, it's not weird, and, and it's okay if we understand this is what God made, and, and so I, I don't want you to be afraid, but I will say this, and just quickly, i cover cover this. Again, I, now I, I don't know about any of you, but in the last a year and a half, I've learned that I don't, I further don't trust the science, right. <laughs> if I ever did which I didn't because scientists don't believe that God created the heaven and earth and all of those things. If I ever did, I fully don't now. But science will try to tell you that there are some people who are born hermaphrodites. It's not true. Even of the cases that they can trump up, you're talking about point zero zero 500 cases that they suppose And then we're not talking about fully intact, we're talking about tissue of both genders, supposedly. That's one one one-thousandth of a percent. Which to me says that we're talking about, by and large, the exception and a mutation off of what was designed right? Everybody understand what I'm saying? Not how God had intended it. And we don't know what drugs, we don't know what in vitro fertilization, we don't know what manipulation of the genes could have caused those things. But the point is God created distinction. Here they are. I'm going I'm to nail it down for you. And this is not going to take very long. Male and female. That's it. That's the whole. We don't, we don't need to go any further than that. ABC News says that there are 58 different genders available for you to choose from if you are a Facebook user. 58. Ranging from bigender to genderqueer, pan-gender, all the way down to two spirits. Now that's the only one I agree with. I think that people who think they're something besides what God made them probably are dealing with two spirits. All right? There's probably, probably some issues there and, and the scripture would have called it demon possession. We've got a nice word for it now, you know, it's we're schizophrenic. No, no you're hearing voices in your head, you've got a devil. That's your problem. So that might be the one. Fifty-eight. No, I'm gonna say it's really simple: male, female. That's how God made it. Now, again, we could argue. You could, but well, we're just gonna go off of what God says. We don't need to even bring in what anybody else says. We're just gonna go off of what God says. You can call yourself whatever you want, but God sees you as either male or female. And you cannot manipulate that and ever be right with God. And I got one further. We'll cover something here in a minute, but I got one further. I don't care what reassignment surgery you have. God gets the last laugh because your DNA still tells him that you are either male or female. And they can't manipulate that. Can't do anything about it. So you, you can take all the drugs, you can take the testosterone, you can paint on a mustache, but I'm telling you what, if you were born a girl, you're still a girl. You can cut off the parts and it doesn't matter, you're still a guy if you're born a guy. There's nothing you can do about it. And all the, all the science that it can trump up can't change the distinctions that God made. Parents, you have a role in this. If little Johnny makes the statement that he is a girl, you need to correct this mistake and reinforce with him that God made him a boy. If it continued, I would forcefully correct this mistake. You know, I'm going to tell you something else. You better make sure as parents that you're not raising tomboys. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that women can't enjoy hunting or that's not, that's not the point at all. You need to make sure that your girls are feminine. That's what God made them to be. God didn't create women to be masculine. He created them to be feminine. He didn't create little boys to be feminine. Don't let them play with the, with the dolls. That's not what God made them to be. You need to reinforce as parents from the very early stages. Children are confused you remember a few years ago, maybe last year it was, or the year before, where they were fighting in Texas, the husband and the wife, because the wife said that the boy was a girl. Anybody remember that? And she said that one time she heard him say, "I'm a girl." And so she's trying to force him to go to school as a girl and, and all of that. You know, I've heard kids say a lot of things. I've heard kids say "I'm an airplane." I've heard kids say, "I'm a duck." We need to correct it. No, you're not an airplane. You're a little boy or you're a little girl. So we have a role to play in this. Let's not ignore it. I'm going to cover all of them fairly lightly. I don't want to get too deep in any one of these subjects. But again, let's talk about pronouns for a minute. I say a minute because it's only going to take. It's not even going to take a full minute for us to cover pronouns. You ready? Here you go. He, she. Pretty easy. And them. There is no them without a he and a she. God didn't make he, him, and them. God didn't make she, her, and them. God made he and she, and the he and she became them. That's the only way. There's no plurality of gender. You can't be multiple gendered. You can't choose to be multiple gendered. And the fact that there is some question about this, again, I literally heard the gospel coalition. Doesn't that sound like a great, I would want to watch the gospel coalition. I heard a woman get up there and was telling the church that we need to address transgender people by the gender they're choosing because that's what love is. No, that's what hate is because we're accepting something that God despises, and we're not giving the truth of the freedom from the demonic oppression in that person's mind. Now, you have to deal with that however you want, but I'm going to leave it what God says. There is he, and there is she. It's that easy. There are no variants. There's no in-betweens. There's no partials. I I literally... Heard of some girl? that She was identifying as a deer. I just read to the kids this article. It's Where was it at? Uh, Missouri, Mississippi. One of the M's, I think it was. They're struggling in a high school because kids are coming dressed like cats. And they're identifying as cats. They're literally getting in the window and laying there during lectures and purring. This is where we're at today, guys. This is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with insanity. I'm not going to call a dude a she, even if he is wearing a miniskirt. I'm not doing it. You know why? Because that's not what God made him. I'm not saying we're going out picking fights. That's not the point. I probably am just going to avoid the subject altogether and move on with my life, right? But I'm not going to be forced to call a guy a girl. I'm not doing it. Well, but Pastor Rodney, see, that's where you're going to get in trouble. It's what Pastor was preaching about today. That's where you're going to get in trouble. You just need to not be so abrasive. You know, you're going to cause problems. You know what? Standing for Christ is going to cause problems. It's going to happen. There's no way to avoid it. I also want to say this. This is a statement that shouldn't really need to be clarified, but apparently it does. God is a spirit, but he is always identified as a masculine force. Everybody understand that? God never takes on the feminine gender. That's a really important point. Because much of this that is that is allowing for gender fluidity in Christianity also does not accept God as father. I just listened to another message about this the other day. They don't believe that God, well, if God is not father, if God is gender neutral, then why can't people be gender neutral? Now I don't think God is a man, God is a spirit. But he always identifies himself to creation as what? Father, never mother. And when he manifests himself, his image, he puts on the image of a son, not a daughter. Is it important? It's important if you understand that God wanted distinction. It's also important if you are going to believe in patriarchy. If you believe that God is a father, then you're going to believe that God has also assigned specific duties for us as men who are to be fathers. Part of the problem in the home, maybe the hugest problem in the home that we are facing is that we don't now, our church, we're fine. I know we all do, but in the country, we don't want to accept gendered roles. Not only are we not willing to accept genders, but then even if I am born a man and I identify as a man, I might be the stay-at-home mom. That's what we're that's what we've taken on. And even if I am a woman and I identify as a woman, I might be the breadwinner because it's all about taking on this this change of the distinction that God gave. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that, and I'm not opposed to women working, my wife works, so that's not the point of, of, of the situation. But the idea is that we are, we are trying to shred every distinction, and even if we identify with the gender and the role that God made us in, there is an attack upon just the very structure of that gender. So we have to understand that God is a God That believes in patriarchy. He is the ruler. He is the father. He becomes a son. And he teaches us as men how to live in that way. And he brings a woman along. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to introduce for him a helper. And they are going to together become one in marriage. And they're going to work together to accomplish my desires in the earth. This is the function for men and women. That's it. That's it. There is nothing else. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about working. That's not, that's not the point. It's about understanding our roles. And when we understand, I told Dustin and I we were talking before church tonight. I told him and I, I told Dad a few weeks ago, he'd probably didn't tell him anything he didn't know. I was just sharing something that I've been feeling. I feel like that I'm going to be judged. I think we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of, of Christ. But I feel like I'm going to be judged also in a way that I don't think Carrie's going to be judged. I'm going to be judged for how I led my home because it's my responsibility. It's her responsibility to support me in my leading, in my direction. And if I don't lead my home in the right way, I believe God's gonna judge me for that in a different way, in a whole other capacity. So, again, you young ladies who aren't married yet, you better be looking for men who are willing to lead as God says to lead. That's what God made you to do. Be a man, pull up your pants, and get ready to go to work. That's how it goes. And if you're men, all of our young men, they're all strapping, fine young men, you better be ready to take on the role. Marriage isn't about getting married and just kind of willy-nilly doing, oh, this is going to be so much. It's not about romance. i tell you what, young men, it's not nothing about romance. <laughs> it's about doing your duty. You're taking on responsibility to make sure that my home is governed as God intended it to be governed. This is all part of patriarchy. This is all part of God being a father. It's all part of that. We have to believe that. Now that we have established how that God gave distinction between male and female, I wanted to look at those passages of scripture that um, I think we could understand better as to what our function, functions are within our distinctions. Sexually, and I'm going to be careful with how uh, how I approach this, believe me. Um, So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 23. I've never, I was going to take one of these as text, but I didn't end up doing it. Now I'm just going to read. Is everybody okay if I read the scripture? Okay, I'm just going to read it. Deuteronomy chapter 22, or 23, verse 1 you put it up over on the overhead. He that is wounded in the stones or has his privy member cut off shall not enter the congregation of the Lord. I'm not going to elaborate. But if you think, and this word about being cut off is not just about somebody being eunuchized. It literally has the connotation of mutilation. If you think that you can be right with God in transgender form, you have to completely ignore the book of Deuteronomy. There can be no gender manipulation and ever be right with God. Everybody following what I'm saying? Gender reassignment disqualifies you from rightness with God. Now, I'm not saying that for those who have gone down that road, there's not possibility for salvation. I don't know how you get back from there. I don't really know. I think that you've given yourself so over to vileness. I don't know if you could ever, but I'm going to believe that there is still salvation available, but only if you return your heart to being the gender that you were born in. You can't ever go far enough in sin and it then be okay. Well, I finally got to the gender that I, that I, that I really identify with. And so now I will get right with God. And I'm going to continue. So I'm a man and I'm going to become a woman because that's how God made me. And so eventually, now that I'm, I'm secure in my womanness, now I will get right with God. And I'm going to live my life out as a woman. No, you can't. Impossible. Everybody agree? Impossible. Not possible. Any way, shape, or form. And also the other way. Now this, certainly the idea of the transition from female to male that they're trying to fabricate wasn't even conceived in Bible times that it would be something that would be attempted. But obviously the other way, the same thing applies. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5. Now this is a passage of Scripture that I heard at times growing up. I've never read it from the pulpit. And I want to read it tonight. King James, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Drag queens just got eliminated from rightness with God. Dikes just got eliminated from rightness with God. Everybody following me? This passage of Scripture is important. It's important for another way. It's important because it's been abused. It's been misunderstood. Um, It's been reduced in in my upbringing, and it's still being used all over, to mean that a woman is to wear a dress and a man is to wear pants. Now first, right off the bat, we have to start with the hypocrisy of that thought. When this was written, Deuteronomy, it's given to Moses, they all wore robes. Everybody agree? It cannot be talking about women wearing dresses and men wearing pants. Impossible. If they were in that that construct then, then we could surmise that that would be a reasonable assumption. But they were not. They were not all the way up through Jesus' time. And so I refuse to believe that that's what it is. I've heard both holiness preachers on the apostolic, the Trinitarian side say this. Now, this blows my mind. In defense of this scripture, in defense of saying a woman's got to wear a dress and a man has to wear pants, I've heard them say this. Culture has to come into play in our understanding. Because in our culture for hundreds of years, women of war dresses. I'm going to tell you something. I defy anyone to tell me that God's word is affected or adjusted by our culture. I'm not accepting that. <laughs> I am not going to accept that God has anything to do with culture. Absolutely 100% not. So we miss the true meaning which is way more powerful and important in this verse. And I want to pull it out. I'd never really seen it before, but it became very clear to me as I I looked at this just really quickly. I don't want to dig it real deep, but let's kind of dissect it. A woman shall not wear is not the translation. This word wear is used approximately 800 times in the Old Testament, and 699 of them approximately. Now, I was counting, and that, you know my math may not be perfect, so we're working with approximate numbers. But 699 of those 800 times, the word is translated as, uh, in the form of to be or to become. Everybody following me? Not wear. A woman shall not wear what pertains to a man. No. A woman, this same word, six to seven hundred times out of the eight hundred times it's used, is talking about becoming. Some form of state of being or becoming. The second part of this is the word pertaineth. A woman shall not wear what pertaineth to a man. This word is keli. And it is the idea of being outfitted, but it not with clothes. This word is almost predominantly used with the idea of armor and weapons to be furnished for war or equipped for duty is what this word means. This does not mean that a woman can't go to sportsman's warehouse and get all decked out, outfitted to go hunting. That's not what we're talking about here. What was the role of armor in the man's life? It is masculinity. Remember, I just preached about David, and what does he do when he kills Goliath? He takes his head to Jerusalem, and he takes his armor and puts it in his tent. It is this masculine, this dominance, this duty call. So when you break down this first part of the verse, it really is saying something altogether. It's saying a woman shall not be armored out or masculine like a man. That's what it's talking about. A woman shall not become militant. See, it's not about what you're wearing. It's about how you're acting. Everybody following me? It's not about what goes on. the. Is it ever about what goes on the outside with God? Is God ever, and I I know we could get into immodesty, but is God really ever, because immodesty, the problem is not that you're naked. That's not the problem. The problem is your heart. The problem is you want to be naked, That's the problem. God's always concerned with the heart. Let's not let it out with this idea that we can just deal with this in the sense of, hey, women, you all need to wear dresses. Everybody see what I'm saying? It's missing. That's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is saying, listen, women should not ever act like men. Don't don't put on armor. Don't become militant. Don't become violent. That's not who you're made to be. You're made to be soft. The second part, a man shall not put on, or labosh is the word here. It's not the same word. The first word is kele, and it means to be armored and outfitted. This word, labosh means to be arrayed with, to be clothed with, to be adorned. Now, here's my problem, and I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm not making any accusation at one denomination. I'm seeing it all across all the holiness movements right now. I see a lot of women wearing dresses, and I see a lot of guys looking like a bunch of pantywaists. And acting like a bunch of panty waste. And you know why? Because we reduced it to what we're putting on. This word does mean to clothe. It does mean to pamper. It does mean to put on that which makes me look really pretty. That's good. That's good. So, the man shall not be adorned like a woman, or this word woman is used every time you see the word wife. This is about roles. This is about gender roles. That's what this is about. This is about your function and understanding that God designed you in a specific way. And if you were made a woman, you need to embrace that femininity. And if you were designed and created a man, then you need to embrace the masculinity. You should not be primped. You should not be soft. You should not be effeminate if you are a man. You should not be metrosexual. You should not be manicured and pedicured if you're a man. That's what it's saying. Let's stop worrying about the clothes. Let's start worrying about what we're actually putting on. So the difference, the depiction of being outfitted, prepared for duty, women shouldn't be that. Women shouldn't be fighting our wars, church. It's not what God made them to do. And men shouldn't be over here wearing Snuggies. I I, I mean, it's an easy target, but you got to look at recently Ravi Zachariah and all that mess. They said that he was going in to get the massages and pedicures three to four times a week. That's all I need to know about the man. We're men and we're going in and getting pedicures three or four times a week. You're not doing your duty. Sorry, wife, we don't have the, we don't have the money for you to get yours nails done. I just got mine done. I mean, see, that's, that's funny. Because that's not what God made us to be. I said this a couple weeks ago. But God didn't make us men to look pretty. It's not what he made us to do. He made us to be strong, to be tough, to be masculine. And the beauty, the crowning glory of us is our wives. How many are thankful you have a pretty wife? Some of you men better raise your hands. You're going to be in big trouble. That was not a trap. The wife is intended to be the pampered one, the pretty one, the primped one, the one who smells good. When I get home from work, I just don't smell good. I've been doing my duty, right? That's, that's the mentality. I want you to look at this from now on. Now, listen, I, we have no problem if you, I, I've said this a lot of times, if you feel like that you, you as a woman want to wear, in, in, in our culture in the 50s, women wore dresses. They did all of them. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. I've thought oftentimes, I I can think of a scenario really quickly of you you get a a dykish woman who gets saved, and she says, you know, I've been very masculine my whole life, and I identify femininity with a dress, and I'm going to wear a dress every day the rest of my life. That sounds like a great idea. We have no problem. I'm not mocking or knocking. I understand in the 50s, it would have been pretty easy to say, hey, Every woman is wearing a dress. Why are you walking around in a pair of pants? I understand that. We're not knocking or or beating that up. But I want you to understand it goes way beyond what we're putting on on the outside. And it goes right to the issues of the heart. I don't want to reduce it to to, to us thinking that we can get right by what we do and what we wear. We get right in our heart. And then God will help us. God will help us in between. Amen? Everybody okay if I go on a little bit more? I'm trying to hurry and get through this. I want to propose something on the tail end of this. God wants there to be distinction. If you say God's concerned about distinction, I really, I really think, again, i, I got to cover this really quickly, but if men and women were all wearing robes, was there distinction? Yes. There was distinction because the robes that they put on, the men were putting on the armor over the top of the robes. You understand what I'm saying? That, yes, God's, in, God's uh, intentional about us being different, but can you tell the difference between the way a man walks and the way a woman walks if they were all wearing robes? I can. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's about how we carry ourselves. But I do want to come in on the tail end of this, and I want to say something. God has given natural distinctions, it's there. I love Chad's shirt. I should have had him wear it tonight and have him walk up front, he'd have loved that because he loves being up in front of people. <laughs> he has this shirt, it's one of my favorite shirts. I need to get it myself, but I don't, ha- that guy can grow a beard in like five hours His shirt, you probably have all seen it, but it says, some fathers teach their sons to shave. Others teach them to be men. (laughs) I love it. It's my favorite shirt. I love that shirt. Understand something. Facial hair is a God-given distinction between man and woman. Everybody agree? All you women, I know you're trying to get rid of your mustache. It's okay. <laughs> it's a God-given distinction. He made it that way. I didn't make it that way. God made it that way. I, I thought there was something that was really interesting. I bet you that none of you know this. Unless you've happened to have stumbled on it at some point in your life. Do you know that the Hebrew word for elder is literally the exact same word as beard. So when you see the term, the elders of Israel, it's literally saying the bearded ones of Israel. One, now this isn't going to be real popular with society. This, this message might get me arrested in two years, but I think we're okay. One, you couldn't be on the council of elders if you were a woman because you didn't have a beard because God didn't make women to rule over men. Hello. Two, it was a sign of maturity. Everybody noticed the first thing that, that the, all the young guys do when they very first, they love to grow out the first little, one little twig of facial hair that grows on their face. You know, they're why? I'm a man. You know, I mean, just, and you're just like, please get the cat and lick it off. I mean, come on. God may, now, now, do do different races have less facial hair? Yes. Something that you probably, you know, I think I'm Native American. And so, I'm everything. But I'm partly Native American, and a lot of Native Americans don't have facial hair. But I'll tell you something that you probably don't know, too, is that they often plucked their hair because they didn't want to have it. And and my point in saying this is this. We know that virtually all of the men in the Bible had beards. Okay, everybody, don't get nervous. All all the older guys are clean-shaven here, so I don't want to offend our elders. I'm not trying to do that. Hold on, we're okay. All of the... Men in the Bible had beards. How many would agree with that? One, they probably weren't carrying around, worried about shaving every day. You know, Became popular in the 1918s in our country to shave. If you look at all the Civil War pictures, how many of you see people clean shaven? Hardly any. We go to Gettysburg and we're walking through the museum when we went back to Pennsylvania. I'm looking at all the... They're all bearded because they had stuff to do. They didn't have time and they didn't have razors. It wasn't accessible, it wasn't easy. In 1918, when... When um, chemical warfare became popular, they sent the men off to war in Germany. They made them shave their faces because you can't fit the mask over the face. So so, is that a good reason? Absolutely. It's a great reason. You're going to war. That's what we're made to do. I tried to tell this to Carrie the other day. I know we act stupid as men sometimes. We're going to war. I I walk up in front of her when I was younger. I was much worse at this. And she's walking back and carrying the diaper bag and the kids and, you know, and I, I... And she's like, why why didn't you help me? Because I've got things to do. I'm scouting ahead. (laughs) It's the difference between men and women. That's how we think. We're, 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 We're warriors. We're made so, yeah, I mean, fine. They shaved their faces, and when they came back, then... All of the New York magazines and stuff started putting out magazines of these men clean-shaven. The women all loved it. So that was the trend in our country to where clean-shavenness really started. Um, but I, I want to say this. We know that pretty much, almost without exception, we would see that the men had beards. And we would see that Jesus had a beard. We know Jesus' beard was long enough for them to pull it out with their hands. I'm thinking like... Chad, you couldn't pull my beard. You'd have to have tweezers. Chad, you could get a handful of, and you could rip it out of his face. Uh, Jesus had a, a fairly lengthy beard. Also, if, if he was the only one who had a beard, then they would have said, you don't need to kiss him, Judas. Just give us an identifying mark. He's the guy with the beard. <laughs> so it's, it's fairly accepted knowledge that we would say that men had beards. And and the only reason I bring this up, I don't think it's wrong to shave at all. There's anything wrong with that. I don't think it's a spiritual thing or a a right or wrong thing. But if we're talking about natural distinction, we should never forbid beards. You want to shave? Shave. Fine. I get itchy. I can't grow it very long. I got to shave it. You want to shave, there's nothing wrong with being clean-shaven. And maybe your old men can convince me that it's the better way. I don't know. But I I say that it would be important that we would never forbid what God gave as a natural distinction. Everybody following me? Just natural, it's there. Okay, I want to cover, and I'm trying to get quickly done here now. Because I'm running out of time. I want to cover one final thing homosexuality. I can't believe that we have to spell this out, but we do. There's so many questions. God's feeling about same-sex attraction, homosexuality, sodomy, bestiality, has not and will not ever change. Yeah, give the Lord, that's absolutely true. Give the Lord a hand, clap of praise there. That's, That's right. So look at a couple of verses in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 22. If I can get it there myself, I may have to. There we go. 18, 22, and 23. We might as well read it. There's questions about this right now. They literally put this out in um, the New York Post. New York Times must be New York Times. Um, why is bestiality so taboo? It's, it's cultural. Now we're we're coming right on in with it. Pedophilia, bestiality—it's the next wave. Every vile perversion that you can that man can create, the devil's going to throw at us. He's trying to do it. So here, here we go. Let's just read this. 1822. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereunto. It is confusion. Does that seem like it's ambiguous, open-ended in any way, shape, or form? This is God's law. God's law does not change. God's God's feelings about this does not change. Well, God, it was an abomination in the Old Testament, but it's not in the New Testament. And then they want to take this to this, uh, oh, I can't think of the word pronounce it correctly, pedacracy, I think is what they call it, pedacracy, which is the abuse of little boys. And that's really what God was concerned with. Oh, no. Can we be more descriptive than that? Man shall not lie with man. We're not talking about abusing little boys here. That's forbidden too, by the way. It's inferred, but it's fairly obvious. Now I want you to flip just probably one page for most of you to the 20th chapter and the 13th verse. What does God say about this? If a man... The 13th verse of the 20th chapter, if a man lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them, that's important. We've got questions again in Christianity about whether the receiving end is wrong. I'll leave it there. Both of them are an abomination and they shall surely be put to death. How does God feel about homosexuality? It's an abomination. It will never be anything but an abomination to God. We don't need to tiptoe around this. The big pastor, Carl Lentz, there in New York, he was on Oprah and he was on The View and all these, right, you know, before he had the adulterous affairs multiple and got kicked out of his church, finally after all the vileness he was already doing, just couldn't answer this. He could make really bold statements about racism, which isn't addressed in the Scripture, but he can't make statements about homosexuality and abortion, which are addressed in the Scripture. See, this is where we're soft-shoeing it. Yeah, you know, we just gotta—we gotta think about how people are gonna feel about this. I mean, how are you gonna win somebody to the Lord if you tell them that that what they're doing is an abomination? Your sin is an abomination to God, and if that doesn't bother you, you're not coming to the Lord. It is the realization of the depravity of your life that causes you to recognize that you need a Savior. It is the mercy of God that He shames us and calls us out for our sin. God should just kill us. But instead, He's merciful and He sends people along. Every one of you had somebody come along who told you how you are living is wrong and you need a Savior. Amen? Every one of you had that. Aren't you thankful you had that? So why should we deprive the homosexual of this same opportunity for salvation? We will stand before God in judgment if we do not declare the truth of the word of God to those who are bound in sin. We cannot cave on this. There doesn't seem to be any question in my mind, and I I am hurrying, about how God feels about homosexuality or, or sexual perversion. What could modern scholars find that would change this? We just read it. What could modern scholars find that would change what we just read? Nothing. That's the answer. There's nothing to find. It's very descript, it's very plain. I won't describe, you can go home and look it out, look it up in your in your lexicons. I won't describe what lieth means. You can understand it. It's what it means. Well, Pastor Rodney, that's Old Testament. God's feelings in the new covenant. Do not change. Two scriptures we got to look at there. Are, well, three scriptures. First Timothy chapter one and verse ten. Oh, I have to hurry. Are we okay if I finish? Are you guys okay? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take. I really didn't. wasn't trying to take long. But First Timothy chapter one and verse ten. We <clears throat> read it in the King James. Um, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, talking about these objectionable sins. Now, the argument has been that it wasn't until the 1990s that the word homosexual was introduced into the Scripture. That's true. And I'm going to tell you why it's not in the King James Bible. Because King James was a homosexual. (laughs) It's not because the word changed. It's because King James is a homosexual and the men who are translating the scripture for him are certainly not going to go against him when the result is death. So, uh, the word here is arsenokoi. Arsen a And concisely, I'm going to give you the definition. It means to bed a male. Is that pretty clear? Any questions? Modern scholars have discovered that this word means something else. I don't know why. I don't know where. But they have determined that this is not the appropriate translation. This is about that, that whole deal with, with men who were abusing little boys in the temple. Well, that's the Catholic Church, and they've got, a, they've got a lot of that going on, have some problems, but that's not what this word means at all. It means to bed a male. Exactly the same connotation that is given in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, this is also interesting some people will say that they, they mistranslated this word. It means something else. So I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. This is a, a verse I've read before speaking concerning effeminacy. But I, I want to I find this word in here too. Um, know ye not that unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. There's that word, arsenokoi. Arsenokoi. This is interesting. Paul, by almost all standards, would have read the Septuagint. He would have known the Septuagint and also read from it. The Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures. Paul is taking the gospel to the Greeks, Right? So he would have been bringing, just like Uncle Skip's got himself a Spanish Bible, because he's preaching to the Spanish people, he would have been likely bringing the Septuagint to the Greek people and reading what this says. Now I'm going to tell you, arsenikoi is the exact same word the Septuagint uses in Leviticus 18 and 20. Exact same word. This is the only place it's used in the New Testament. Paul uses it in these two places. Why? I think it's very clear. Paul didn't create a new word. He used the word homosexual that was used in the Septuagint, and he is tying it together for the Greek-speaking church. Listen, this, what we read right here, let me be very descript for you. You cannot enter the kingdom of God if you are a synecoy. That's what he's saying. That there in Leviticus is what I'm talking about. That's what he's doing pretty clear so the argument is made by people that this word is really abusing but then the thought goes to that God really isn't concerned I said this before and and I'm closing but God really isn't concerned then with what your sexuality is or how you act that out he's only concerned that it is long term and faithful everybody heard that now you've you've heard that right Well then if we had, be careful here, if we had a long-term bestial relationship that was unending and it was faithful and monogamous, would that then also not be right? If God's only concerned, if God's only concerned that that you are faithful to that one person, then if you abuse a little boy for his whole life, that would be okay then, right? God's dealing with perversion is what he's dealing with. God's not dealing, faithfulness can be fixed. Faithfulness is not a problem. God can deal with the the faithfulness in our lives and help us to grow in faithfulness. You're going to repent of perversion. There's no way to fix that problem. There's no way to say, okay, now now, we we just got to get the right plug in the right person there. So you gotta, you got to stop being a male whore and, and you've just got to be faithful to one male as a male. No, 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 no. That's never the plan of God that will never be right. God is not concerned that you are just faithful in your perversion. <laughs> God is concerned that we are faithful in his righteousness and how he describes that we should interact. Go back and read the book of Deuteronomy and read the Levitical law, and you're going to find exactly how you should act as husband and wife. You're going to find exactly how you should be treating one another, exactly how those intimate times should be. What God says this is okay and this is not okay. It's, it's, pretty, it's all there pretty clear. Because God wants us to be right with him. God always wants us to look at things and judge them based upon his truth, not based upon our opinions of his truth. And let me, let me finish with this one last scripture. Because if you needed any other scripture, say, well, man, it's just, I don't know, Pastor Roddy. That's still kind of open-ended and, you know, God, he, maybe Paul mistranslated that. And, you know, uh, well, Paul makes it very clear. I just have to read these two verses in Romans one 27-27. 26 and 27, you, you all know these passages, but I just want to close with this. For this cause, God gave them up to their vile affections. Now, Paul's not going to use the word arsenicoi in this case. He's going to spell it out, right? It's going to be really clear. For even the women did change the natural, their natural use into that which is against nature. See, this is God's problem. God's problem is when you're going against nature. Homosexuality is the ultimate rebellion against God. It's the rebellion against how you were designed. That's why it's being pushed. It's the hatred for God that pushes homosexuality. It's unnatural, and if, they, if everybody was homosexuals, this generation would die. Would go, it would not go on. Verse 27, and likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men. The Greek says men men in men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense for their error. Anybody remember, I am closing, I have to. Anybody remember back in the 1990s when science, remember that, our buddy science, trust him, was trying to convince the world that HIV was a problem that was all over and spanned throughout all genders and uh, and uh, sexual preferences. Remember that? Because they didn't want to identify the truth, which was it was almost 100% contained within homosexual behavior. Of course, there was some transmission through prostitutes, and of course, there was some transmission through drug use, but it was almost 100%. Why? Because there's a reward for that behavior. And it's not just hell. It's not just hell eternally. It is a life of misery and pain. Let me tell you something else. And we know this personally. That people who are in that lifestyle almost always are abusing drugs. They're almost always alcoholics. Because they're trying to mask the pain. They're trying to deal with the brokenness of that defilement of what they were made to be. I I just want to say this as pastors coming. God gave us clear rules. Let's not be afraid to speak what God says very clearly in his word. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen.